you guys have tried a number of things on offense, Andy, but how, how do you find some rhythm, some consistency on that side of the ball? Yeah, there's no question, and that's that's obviously the big to-do that, uh, you know, that we have to get going here really quick, and it's a, uh, it's, there's enough talk that's been done about it. Now we got to put something into place and put some action going forward. That was Boise State head football coach Andy Avalos following a loss at UTEP on Friday. Less talk, more action, and that sparked a whole lot of change over these last few days. Welcome on into Jay's Sports Bar. I'm your host, Jay Tust, accompanied by Shane Williams-Rose, the former Boise State great wide receiver. What a week. Coming up today on the show, we're going to discuss Tim Plough getting fired, Dirk Cutter taking over the offense, Hank Bachmeyer, the four-year starter at quarterback transfers, and now it is Talon Green's team and offense over there at Boise State. But we begin with the genesis of everything that kind of put these wheels in motion, a devastating loss in El Paso, losing to UTEP 27-10. to 10. Shane, that's the type of thing that makes you hit the reset button, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, we've played – four games and we've played three teams who are just not that good mm -hmm. and we have not looked good in any of those games. So I think it was definitely time for us to start making some decisions. Uh, I'm glad that Avalos at least, you know, understood that it was time to pull the trigger on some of these things. Uh, obviously some of them a little bit more unexpected than the others, but mm -hmm. yeah, it was time. To call it all of this uh, shocking isn't necessarily the way that I would go with it, but it's still a bit of a surprise that they would go with this type of dramatic change in season. But I, I'll give Andy Avalos a little bit of credit, as you said right there. I mean, he is doing what he feels is at the best for this football team. And, um, you know, one of these decisions kind of maybe helped spark another decision when I'm talking about Hank Bachmeyer leaving. We're going to get to all that um, later on, on on the podcast today. But, you know, you, you kind of walked out of El Paso knowing that something – had to yeah. give. I mean, this wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And last week we almost talked probably at nauseam about how this team was going to try to be different on offense, and it was different from maybe what Tim Plow wanted to do on offense. When he first came in, he wanted to go fast. He wanted to run plays. Mm -hmm. He wanted to create more possessions, which would ultimately maybe mean more points. Um, they've definitely backed their foot off the gas, and they were going in a different direction. They were slowing down. They, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage, they were making checks and calls, and they were sitting there forever. And it just, it wasn't. It was, it was trying to fit a, uh, you know, a square peg in a round hole, and it, and it simply wasn't working. I mean, we talked about it last week. You said that they're starting to move a little bit slower. They're huddling. They're doing all these things. Well, the problem comes in, like we said, when you minimize your possessions, now you have to be more efficient on your possessions. We aren't scoring points in these minimized possessions. So now we get behind in a game where we've been running timeout, we've been huddling, we haven't been rushing, and now we need that time back. So then, you know, you have to, you change the offense in order to help benefit the offense, but then it backfires because, you know, they have some big plays on defense, I mean, on their offense, and then now our back's against the wall. Now we have to go score quick and, that obviously hasn't been us. We haven't been able to score, you know, at ease at all. Right. So it's it's just we talked about this. We literally said that you gotta be more efficient if you're gonna, you know, condense that mm -hmm. those possessions. And so that's what happened to them. They ran out of possessions. Yep. And on Friday night Again, talking with, with Andy Avalos, he said that it was time for less talk, more action. Flew home Saturday morning. I landed in Boise at 1 o'clock, and it wasn't long after that. We had a press release, Andy announcing that, that Tim Plough had been relieved of his duties as the offensive coordinator at Boise State. And on Sunday, Andy explained why. We obviously had to make a, a tough decision. 
with our offensive coordinator position. I love Tim Plough. I'm very grateful for his friendship, our time together. But it was just a time that we needed to uh, make a change with the leadership of our offense moving forward. Uh, Dirk Cutter will be our offensive coordinator um, and also coach our quarterbacks. It provides us an opportunity to reorganize our process, uh, create rhythm. Uh, we're very excited about our offensive guys. We know that they're very capable. We've seen them do it. We just have not done it consistently. Again, I take uh, responsibility for all three phases when it comes to us being on the field. Offense, defense, special teams. And it is my responsibility to make sure that uh, we are putting these young men in the best position possible to succeed. There was a lot of evaluations, just like we said after the game. Why did certain things happen? Where can we create a better level of consistency? Um, and there were no conversations prior to that. I've uh, supported uh, Coach Plow, And again, I love that guy. Um, this, is not a, this is not an easy deal. Um, but it's the right time for our team, for our players. And, you know, those decisions uh, to get to the point where we were were not made until after the game. The play calling and those things are a result of um, the process. It doesn't just start on game day. It takes a lot of reflection and going back and, and analyzing and going back not just one week but multiple weeks and what does our process look like how are we organizing? How are we creating confidence? How are we creating a certain mentality? Because we have the right young men. And to be able to build that confidence into them so that they can play with a certain mentality, we can create rhythm on offense. We can execute uh, more consistently up front, through the air, and everywhere in between, and get all 11 to do it consistently on the field. I know we have the, the right young men to do that. I know we have the right coaches in there to do that that will be led by Coach Gutter. So there you had it. Like I said, it was... It was kind of surprising that, that Andy pulled the trigger, but Tim Plow now out as the offensive coordinator. Um, how, how do players process this? I mean, this is, this is a catastrophic move that you have to make in season, especially only four games into the season, and an unprecedented move for anything that we've ever seen at Boise State. Yeah, it's, it's tough, but it's not, I would say, not as bad because you're dealing with someone who's been in the program this entire time. So... It's not like he's an unfamiliar face, mm -hmm. you know. It's just a it's just a new play caller. Um, you'll still have obviously your same position coaches, and those so those guys still can. They'll probably lean a little bit more on those position coaches now, you know, with the changes. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be. I bet this week has been you know a little different. Mm -hmm. Learning to adjust. I mean, practice probably was different too, just because <laughs> you know certain offense coaches like to do certain things and focus on certain things. So uh, obviously, Dirk has seen a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So. He, uh, I'm really interested to see how this goes, especially with, uh, you know, even long-term with yeah. him, his son being a senior. So yeah. uh, if we can be successful, you know, can we find a way to keep him here? I mean, it just feels like the offense, it, it really had hit rock bottom. I mean, you look at their numbers nationally, and they're down near the bottom of the country in just about every single category that you want to be near the top of the country. That's red zone efficiency, uh, third down efficiency, um, obviously scoring offense and, and total yards per game. Boise State was one of the worst teams in the country in, in every one of those metrics. And so you look at what happened at UTEP, Shane, they, they had 177 total yards of offense. This is a school that's known for offense. Um, it, it, I, I can call it unacceptable. You can call it unacceptable. But the, pers the, the perspective that you – 
that we're about to give you shows that it is completely unacceptable. That's the lowest total yardage output by Boise State in a single game since 1997. That was their yeah. debut season in the FBS. I mean, so that, that right there shows you that it just something had to give. Shane, they rushed for under 100 yards and threw for under 100 yards in the same game for the first time since 1997. It's bad. I mean, I've been saying it all year, and I've kind of taken a little bit of heat for being on Hank's back a little bit this season. And last season, I was on his back. But at the end of the day, I know people on there are saying, well, it's the offensive coordinator. It's the offensive line. It's mm -hmm. this. It's that. But for me personally, I think the quarterback position is so important to making everything. Yeah. You know, quarterbacks typically can make receivers who do the wrong job. They can make them right, you know. Yeah. And I just feel like we did not have – someone who could, you know, make others right. Yes, he could do his job, and even if it wasn't, you know, to the best, to our satisfaction, he was doing his job, but I feel like he couldn't make plays for us. I mean, I, for the people out there who always uh, give me a hard time, <laughs> I did a little bit of research myself, and uh, Hank's QBR uh, in the country, out of 126 eligible people on, to be on this list for QBR, you know, Hank was number 121. So this is QBR. This is uh, as far as incompletions, completions, touchdowns, turnovers, sacks, uh, run plays, all of it. It all it comes into account. It's, you know, how well does your quarterback play? And based off of what the numbers say, we had the 121st best quarterback out of 126 in the nation. So for me, it's, you know, I don't know if I would have ever thought that, that we were that low. But that tells you we obviously aren't getting some things done. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just shift there now because we, we're going to talk about Dirk Cutter taking over and what it could mean for Boise State's offense. But um, on – so game, game on Friday, plow fired Friday, Andy hosts a press conference on Sunday, and on Monday we, we find out that Hank Bachmeyer is going to transfer. Um, that indeed happened. He, he, he's entering the transfer portal. He's leaving Boise State. He's a four-year starter. In, in this offense, you know, I, I would – Hink got off to such a good start. As bad as it ended, he had an absolutely epic beginning to his career. The Florida State comeback, Boise State's the largest comeback ever against a Power 5 opponent. They moved the game because of a hurricane. It ended up being a true road contest for the Broncos, even though it was supposed to be at a neutral site in Jacksonville. And all of a sudden, he became Hurricane, hurricane Hank. He threw over 407 yards in that game. Mm -hmm. That was his first game. Yeah. He never threw for as many again. And so that was definitely – it definitely seemed like the peak of Hank's career, and I, and I, and I think that it was. I, I, I look at him, and, and you were kind of touching on this a moment ago, Shane. Um, when you get a freshman that can come in and play right away, especially at quarterback, mm -hmm. that's like drafting a quarterback in the seventh round, you know? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you get him on the discount for a couple of years. Yeah. But then once all of a sudden you have to start paying him, he's the guy that now has to make everybody else around him better. And as Hank progressed through his career and got older and older, it didn't feel like he had that, that attribute, that ability to make things right when they were wrong, to make guys around him better. And I, and I don't even want to be – I don't mean to be critical, but like – and I hate that everybody compares – any quarterback at Boise State to Kellen Moore, yeah. but, but Kellen just had that ability to do that. He made everybody around him better, and he kind of did it effortlessly, it seemed. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, for me personally, since Kellen has left, my comparison, obviously, since I've left too, has been Brett Rippon. 
Yeah. If you if you can beat Brett Rippon, we can win a Mountain West okay, Championship. Okay, l- l- let's go there, right? Um, Sean Monster and A.J. Richardson, mm-hmm. great humans, right? But all of a sudden, they had to become dudes their senior years. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of questioned if, if those complementary pieces could become dudes. And guess what? One of them had over 900 yards receiving. The other one had well over 800 yards, yards receiving. They, they put the work in and became dudes, but they also had a, had a dude throwing them the football in Brett Rippon. This is true. I mean, even watching Sean and A.J. both from their freshman and sophomore years, they were the young bucks. You yeah. know, they, you know, we see them all the time. They do small things that, you know, the young guys do. They mess up here and there. And so when we left, we knew that those were the guys coming up, but they were talented. Mm-hmm. Like, Yes, they, they, they do little things wrong, but big picture-wise, you could tell that those guys were going to be guys. Yep. And so I just, you know, I don't know what we have. I mean, so far, all I've seen is I feel like Capels is going to be one of those guys who's going to be able to, you know, he's got a few years. He'll mm-hmm. be able to take on that role. I think he's going to be totally fine. But who else do we have? You know, we don't get Austin Bolt back until next year. Yep. What do we have in the pipeline? What, what is, who's going to be one of those guys that can help us, you know, and step up? There are too many guys... It sounds harsh, but it is. It, I think it's a reality. There, there are too many, guy under, too many guys underperforming on offense right now. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think you could pretty much argue, I don't know if anybody's necessarily overperforming on offense. I mean, George Halani, Ashton Genty, I, I think that they've definitely had these, these great moments, mm-hmm. but I, I think that there's a lack of, of continuity throughout the, the entire offense that, that still kind of even holds them back a little bit. Like, yeah. you know, the, the, these last couple road games, I've, I've chosen to kind of be on the sideline and – and shoot the game, and I'm looking at this through a viewfinder, and you get the idea of how many times and how often George Halani has to make a guy miss three yards in the backfield, mm-hmm. you know? And so th- this offense, for one, there are too many guys underperforming. They're making a significant change. They, they, they fire their offensive coordinator. They're four-year starting quarterback transfers, and now essentially we, we move into a new era of football four games into the season for the Boise State football team. Before we get to Taylor Green, and I, and I personally, I don't like to necessarily pay attention to all the chatter on social media because some of it, quite frankly, is not reasonable. Mm-hmm. But with, with Hank transferring midseason, I am curious what your take on it is. Because the NCA has new different rules now that kind of allow for this to happen, and one could even argue it kind of encourages it to happen. Mm-hmm. But what, what is your take on Hank midseason, you know, pulling the ripcord? Yeah, I've seen uh, some interactions on social media, some people getting real intense on there, mm-hmm. but it's a double-edged sword. I, I can see both perspectives. So mm-hmm. I can see why some, you know, even former players are upset that Hank would leave in the middle of the season, you know, even because he wasn't performing the way he needed to be. But on the other end, I also can see where Hank, it sounds like to me Hank knew he was losing his job. Mm-hmm. So if I know I'm not going to play for the rest of the year and I have the, uh, have the opportunity to transfer and still go play somewhere else for two years rather than one, then mm-hmm. that sounds like it's what's best for him. You know, I don't feel like necessarily he quit on the team because he technically was benched. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see if he was a starter and he'd bailed on us. But it sounds like, you know, he saw, you know, the writing on the wall. Yeah. He leaves and now he makes the best decision for himself. I, I will say this. I got it on pretty good authority that Hank would have been the starting quarterback against San Diego State this week. That being said, it is, it is anyone's guess how much longer it would have lasted. Mm-hmm. Because I think that if it 
if it continued to go at the rate at what it was going at, I think there, there would have had to have been a change even made there simply even to just try to spark something different, right? And so I, I, I do feel like Hink would have been the guy this week if he, if he did not enter the transfer portal. But at the same time, I look at it this way, Shane, and I said this on another show earlier this week. It is what it is. Like, this is the NCA as we know it today. It's true. And, and I have seen former players on social media kind of say that's not the Bronco way and all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are different rules now. And if anything, my takeaway from that, Shane, is we talk about tradition, we talk about Bron- the, you know, the, the Bronco way, the legacy, all that stuff. If anything, it just makes me realize how much more harder it is for Andy to kind of build that and develop that. Because there are rules that, that just make that harder right now, right? Yeah. And so my, my take on it is what it is. This is the only way that Hank can save a year of eligibility, right? Yeah. By playing in four or less games, three years ago, the NCAA put a rule in place that you're still technically allowed to redshirt as long as you play in four or less games in a, in a football season. And he's not the first Boise State quarterback to do it. I mean, we just had one do it when I was there. Uh, Ryan Finley, he got hurt. You know, he chose to – he got hurt. So he ends up redshirting that year. He stays on the team. When the offseason comes, he transfers, yep. which obviously Hank could have did that also. He yeah. could have redshirted instead of playing for the rest of the games because, he, you know, he got benched. But I think that's where the former players are coming in and saying it's not the Bronco way. He didn't stick it out. He didn't do this. I, I totally see it. Whereas, you know, your Ryan Finley, he stays, he sticks it out for the rest of the year, he transfers to NC State, he has a great career, he yeah. goes on, he gets drafted, he plays in the NFL. Like, so I get both sides, but I definitely can see why people yeah. are upset. I, it, it would have been interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's when Brett came in as a true freshman and beat out Ryan for that starting job. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting back then if, that, if the current transfer rule was in place because I believe Ryan had already graduated, too, at that point in time, which really opens up your options in terms of the transfer portal. It just would have been interesting to me to see if Ryan would have still stuck it out yeah. at Boise State for that year or if he would have started to chase the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Probably not worth speculating that because I don't know what Ryan truly thinks about that. <laughs> but it just I'm, I, my point is times are different now. Yeah. And so Hank feels like he's doing what is best for himself. I got, I'll say this. Talking with people that know Hank, Hank loves Boise. Like, if, if you think, like, any of this has made him lose his passion for, for Boise, passion or appreciation for Boise, like, I really think that, that that's not the case. I mean, he loves it here. This was, this was a tough decision for him. Absolutely. And so, um, either way, now he, he gets to enter the transfer portal with two years of eligibility, which that makes him much more attractive to that, to that next destination. And, and now he moves on. It... it not a, not a traditional or typical Boise State quarterback career. Came and started at an early age. Like I said, the, the beginning was absolutely epic, but, but the ending, um, not what anybody intended it to be. And, and that's what I'll say, too, about this matter. This was not ideal for the player. This was not ideal for the team. This is, I mean, it's not ideal. You know what it is? It is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it is. Nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So now moving forward, um, you know, it's Taylor Green's job. Andy Avalos came out, and uh, he confirmed to us on Tuesday afternoon that they're going with Taylor Green against San Diego State. And it's so funny because, Shane, social media is a place you just can't win. You can't put out the tweet that he's been named, that Taylor's been named the starter, and you still have people's reaction on there being like, oh, I wouldn't have announced it. Why do you announce it? 
<laughs> I love I love the move because you know what he's – whether this is what Andy intended or not, the way that I'm, I perceive it, hey, Taylor, this is your team now. Mm-hmm. We believe in you. We're yep. backing you, and we're going to let everybody know about it. That's the same way I would have took it, you know. Tells me that my coach has confidence in me. He believes in me. He thinks I can go out there and get the job done. So he's not making it a game-time decision. I feel like that would have added, a, you know, some extra nerves for Taylor. Just going in, trying to figure out, okay, I've been, you know, sitting behind Hank. It's now my time, and I'm still competing for a job. So I think it was a good decision. Yeah. Taylor is unique. I think we can all agree on that. We, we, don't, we don't know exactly what he's all about, but he, he at least seems unique athletically. What he did against Oregon State, I mean, Caleb Williams for USC went into Corvallis mm-hmm. and had a tough time against that defense. And Caleb, man, his Heisman odds are like 8-1. to one. And I'm not trying to say Taylor Green's a, a Heisman candidate or anything like that, but Oregon State and their defense is absolutely legit. Yeah. And so Taylor comes off the bench, throws for 155, rushes for 102, only a couple Boise State quarterbacks have done that in the modern FBS era here at Boise State. In the Mountain West, Talon's one of 31 quarterbacks to rush for 100 or more yards and throw for 150 more yards in a game. He's one of 14 to do it in the FBS this season. And if you look at the list, it is loaded with, like, ridiculous players. Malik Cunningham over at Louisville. Um, Bryce Young, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama. At the very least... You know, we'll see what it means on, on Saturday or on Friday, excuse me. But at the very least, Taylor Green's skill set seems unique. Yeah, we got all that in two and a half quarters, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think Taylor's going to come out. He'll, uh, I think the best thing they can do for him this week is to keep it simple, obviously. But I think just keep him on the move. Do mm-hmm. not, we don't want him sitting in the pocket. Uh, obviously, we've seen what happens when we sit in the pocket. Uh, he has the ability to run, so let's not, let's get him on some bootlegs. Mm-hmm. Give him the ability to use his strength, yep. uh, you know, to get out of the pocket and make throws on the run. I think he's going to be fine. I think uh, – I just don't know what, you know, what kind of leash he's going to be on because obviously Hank won a job and they stuck with him for three years wh- or four years, rather, whether it was, you know, he was a little up and down, mm-hmm. he wasn't, you know, progressing as much. But uh, is this a game where Taylor goes in and if he doesn't play well, we bench him? Like how – what is – how – where is the leash at, you know, what – what kind of leeway does he have? He's yeah. a young quarterback. He's a freshman. This is his first start ever. Uh, the times he has came in the game, he's did well. Even last year when he came in the game, you know, he's running for 50 yards. He's, he, we know he has the athletic ability. I just don't know how much right. leeway he gets. You, you brought up the word simple. And to be honest with you, that was my biggest takeaway from head coach Andy Avalos' press conference on Sunday. Take a listen. From the onset of this, okay, sought out to create an offense here that is efficient, explosive at the line of scrimmage through the air that is going to take care of the ball and is going to be multiple from the standpoint of personnel, from the standpoint of tempo. And obviously in the world of being a defensive coordinator, those are the things that make it difficult on defenses. But within that, it really comes down to always the scheme is built by fundamentals and techniques and how consistently we play with those with confidence and mentality. There's a lot of different styles of offenses that are successful, but it's a commitment to the rhythm, 
and being able to put our guys in the right positions, in the right situations, whether it's down or down and distance, field position wise, and being able to build those confidence in into them through our process, throughout the week, throughout practice, throughout film study, throughout walkthroughs. And that's where I know we'll make a jump. Again, these things take time and it will be uh, a process of growing that I'm excited about. Um, not only for our offense, but for our, our entire team. You know, one thing about Tim Plow's offense, he demanded a ton on his quarterbacks, especially at the line of scrimmage. And at times you kind of wondered maybe why they didn't simplify mm -hmm. and allow those guys to play a little more freely. Yeah. And you, you brought up moving forward. I, I don't think it matters who's under center now. Mm -hmm. I, I think there is going to be an attempt to simplify, to share the responsibility of checks at the line of scrimmage and, and things like that. And I think that that will definitely help Talon as he makes his first collegiate start. It, one thing about this, Shane, we did see Talon have success against a really good Oregon State defense. Mm -hmm. But that was also a defense that was preparing for, for Hank Bachmeyer. Correct. By Andy Avalos revealing this news earlier in the week, which I said I still support because I think it says, Talon, you're our guy, man. Like, we're going with you. That still now provides San Diego State the ability mm -hmm. to game plan for Talon Green. And this will be the first time in his young collegiate career that somebody is going to be game planning to stop him and only him at quarterback. Totally agree, but you have a, a really, really vet OC. Mm -hmm. So I think he understands that. I think before Avalos announced this, I feel like they had that conversation, obviously. Because yeah. you know, uh, now they know what to expect coming in. So now, you, now you're giving them... So football, let's just go ahead and say it. It's a game of chess. So us announcing that... So now we know how we probably know how they're going to prep mm -hmm. for Talon. So now offensively, we just need to be ready Ooh. to counter that, okay. right? It's just everything's a game of chess, you no matter what. Triple stamp, double stamp. There you go. You know, so we gotta we <laughs> understand what we're going to get. He'll probably get scout team wise a ton of blitzes. You know, they'll uh -huh. keep they'll want him get used to that during the week. So that helps him prepare for it. And so I think I think that we'll be fine. I totally think we're going to be fine. What do you think that we'll see? that we haven't seen out of this offense. I, it feels like maybe mixing in some more simple throws, screens, whatever it might be. I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, think, I feel like it, you yeah. said that you, San Diego State, good defense. They like to bring kind of exotic pressures at times. Like mm -hmm. how and when can you take advantage of that? Do you, do you make calls, again, like a screen, instead of asking Taylor to sit there and ident identify pressures at the line, maybe you try to predict that as an offensive coordinator, feel that, and just kind of already make that call for him with like a screen or something. I think you hit the nail on the head with the screens. I think even to get more specifically, because I feel like we're going to do a lot of boot, you know, or maybe not a lot, but we'll do more boot than we've mm -hmm. seen all year. I think you'll get some boot action with some throwbacks, Ooh. you know, because those guys will be coming. They'll be trying to get Taylor. So I think you'll get a really good aggressive offensive line, I mean defensive line and linebackers, and we'll throw some throwbacks, try to keep them honest to get them to stop blitzing so much, you know. And so once we hit them a few times, maybe they can back off. Now Taylor gets a little bit more time to throw the ball. You don't have to boot as much. So it's going to be – it's a game within a game. You always hear that on the field. Yeah. So I think we're going to play that game for sure. And I'm, I'm really glad we have someone who's a vet that is taking over the offense yeah. because I think he, he'll understand that. Well, let's just move in that direction right now. So uh, to, to complete all the breaking news that happened this week, 
Dirk Cutter, the former Boise State head coach from 1998 to 2000. Uh, he led Arizona State. He went off to have uh, a very successful career in the NFL. He's been an offensive coordinator at five different spots. He's been the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was serving as an analyst for the Boise State football team up until this weekend when head coach Andy Avalos needed to fill the void at offensive coordinator. He said that there was only one man for the job. It's a lot more. He wasn't nearly as involved as obviously he is now as, as uh, the leader and organizer of the offense. Prior to it was um, being out in front of opponent scout, helping with some of the organization and, and being a, um, a sounding board in certain situations. So it is a, it is a great deal more. And, and so he is, uh, he's got a, a lot of things on his plate right now, but for him to be able to step up in this moment and be able to, to help us make this jump, we're grateful for him. He knows our players, and that's the most important thing, our players, because we love these guys and we believe in these guys and we believe you know, in, in our offensive staff being able to do this together. Being around the program already, obviously, is a big deal. It'd be very difficult if he wasn't and when you can't bring someone in from the outside. So there you have it. I don't know how many teams across the country have the luxury, and I'm going to call it a luxury, of getting in this type of predicament and then saying, oh, you used to be an NFL offensive coordinator. You used to be an NFL head coach. You know what we're trying to do on offense. You know our players, your sons on the team. You recruited the current head coach of the Boise State football team, and now we're simply going to elevate you into the offensive coordinator role. That is a massive luxury given the circumstances, it seems. I think the only team in the country that can do that is probably Alabama. I know they got tons of NFL, probably. NFL OCs over there on that staff. Um, yeah, this is big for us. I mean, how do you I don't this this no I don't think this happens in the last 20 years like that this exact situation like it's so unique uh, for us I just think we're really really lucky because I don't know which way we would have turned if we did not have him on staff uh, you know you might actually would have seen some first time OCs maybe a Matt Miller share duties with someone you know it's it'll I think it would have really got really really messy yep. trying to figure that out which I think Having him on staff helps, you know, pull the trigger on mm -hmm. things and kind of get things going. I mean, I mean, Matt played that role a little bit at Montana State there for a while, but you now are still asking a guy that's still relatively young in his career, even if he can do it, it's still probably a similar situation to the one you just left, you know? Yeah. And so if you're looking for stability, having a guy with the knowledge that Dirk has. It's just, it's, it's incredible. And Andy did reiterate that he loves some of the current makeup of, of his offensive guys. He, di he did say that even given the current circumstances that Matt Miller's role in the offense is going to be elevated. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, I'm just, I'm fascinated to see how much this team can do, how much these coaches can do in seven days. And really it's even less than that because, you know, by the time they play on Friday, it will be seven days since they last played at UTEP. But the firing happened on Saturday. Um, the wheels kind of go in motion on Sunday. But even Sunday for them, because the game's on a Friday, was a Monday. So Monday was their Tuesday, which means it's their first practice day. You following? Mm -hmm. I know oh, I you got are. you. Oh, yeah, I'm on track. Hopefully everybody watching or listening is too. <laughs> but so really you're in like a five-day window. How much can these guys come together and accomplish in such a, a short time frame? Can it really be enough to take on one of the best defenses, not just in the Mountain West, but one of the most consistent defenses in college football on the blue on Friday with everybody questioning everything that this program's about right now? Uh, I think with a short week, 
what what he would do is I think he's gonna keep everything for the most part the same. So that will allow you not to have to teach, you know, new verbiage and all these things. Mm -hmm. Keep the same same things, you know. Every week, whether you guys out there know it or not, is every week we install new pass concepts. So we might go into a game with 30 pass concepts that we're gonna run this week. And then after that week is over, maybe 10, 12 concepts you will carry over, or half of them, let's say 15. Mm -hmm. 15 to carry over, the other 15, all new concepts. So as a football player, you're already used to going into the next game having to install new things right. every week. So if I'm Tim, I keep my, you know, my day one, my bread and butter, my go-to things, and then the stuff that I would normally, the new stuff, it's just now new stuff that he's coming up with and not you know, your previous okay. OC. So, so I talked with Grant Hedrick a few weeks ago when I was back in, in Oregon, and he was kind of touching on this a little bit. And he actually said that he luckily got to keep a lot of this stuff, which maybe traditionally doesn't happen. But every Saturday or after the game or whatever, you take in some of your, your, the material that you were given for, for, that, for the game you just played, mm -hmm. and you actually hand it over and they shred it. You turn it in. You turn it in. They take the whole playbook because you get a weekly playbook. Okay. So you turn your weekly playbook in. When you get it back, it has a totally new offense for the most part, not a total new offense, but all of the now the third down plays that we'll run this week, the first down plays, the, the shots, okay. the specials, the trick plays, everything. So okay, you get so a totally new, now you got to get back in the book. Let me, let me just say, and I don't even know this, but I'm just going to, I just want, I want even round numbers or whatever. Let's say your, your, your playbook that you're, they're handing you is, at the beginning of the year, is 100 sheets of, of plays. How many of those plays stay in throughout the entire season? So in fall camp, when you get that hundred, you do get that hundred page one. You okay. get it in fall camp. You get it. It has tabs. It says, it says install one, install two. It goes to about twenty-two installs. Something. Like, am I close to practices on there? It has about <laughs> twenty-two practices. You get so every day you have a whole new set of a basically a, a playbook that you have to know for the next day. Okay. So install one, you know for day one. Install two for day two. And every day you have to go home and study a whole new play set of plays for the next day. And then you have to also remember day one, day two, on day four. And they, you know, have to remember the previous installs. So, for when you get to, if you do that during camp the whole time, now when you get to the game week, so let's say it was, uh, let's say it was 100 plays. When you get to the game, what they do is they say, okay, this team runs this type of defense. Well, out of our 100 plays, these 30 plays are good against this defense. So, when they make that playbook, it's based off of those 30 plays from that 100 that you got in fall camp, right? And then now they say, we also like, ooh, this defender plays really aggressive on the side. We're going to put in a shot on this side, so that's another play added. All right, this linebacker is really good at blitzing, but he's not good at covering. Let's attack him. That's another play. So, like, so, so now all of a sudden now we've, added, personnel. we have added two new pages that, never, that didn't even exist in the 100-page playbook. Correct. These are stuff okay. that gets added on the week of based off who you're playing, based off how they play things, and those type of things. So every week we have to learn new things anyway. Okay. You, you scheme it up every week. It, it start, you start over. You just also typically have half of the playbook that carries over. Okay. That's the only thing. You know, the running backs are still going to be running power, counter, ISO. Yeah. You're going to get that. That's always going to carry over. But maybe this week, you know, we might throw in, you know, a toss. Or they don't play well on the edge. We might toss. Things like that. Okay. I, I know somebody had a question for you on Twitter. So I'm going to allow you to pull that up and read it. But it, it's just interesting to me because, like, yeah, yeah, there has been change. Yeah, there's a new guy calling plays. But this still can be relatively routine, it seems. Yeah, it is. This is, 
that's why I feel like they should be okay. I know the short week kind of hurts us a little bit because you don't get the off day because I feel like this week they would have taken the off day to do an extra install day just because of, or even if it was only tailing coming in, it would have been an yeah. extra day to do some things and kind of get right. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty normal. Mm -hmm. okay. that's, that's why I'm not too worried about that. Uh, all right, so we got John Barry. He said, how does the coordinator taking over midseason walk the delicate line between introducing new concepts, moving away from the playbook that wasn't working without expecting the offense to start from scratch? All right, so, and then he said, how, he said, like, how would you go about implementing that, and how does Dirk, how do you see Dirk doing it? Mm -hmm. So, uh, what most people probably don't know, uh, so Dirk, when he got to Jacksonville, uh, he walked into an offense where they had Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones Drew in 2007. Uh, when he walked, when he got there, they were the number two rushing offense in the NFL. Dude, Fred Taylor is so good. I love playing with him on video games. Very good. He was yeah. unstoppable. Yeah, and then Maurice Jones Drew went to UCLA. Yeah, just the Tor bowling ball. Torched my Cougs when I was there, so that's <laughs> just the good. Bowling ball. Thanks for bringing up that that memory. <laughs> so he walked into that situation, and he wasn't the only new guy on the staff, but because they had been number two the previous year, he kept all the run concepts the same. He didn't implement his own, even though he was the new OC. Mm. He kept every run concept the same, and so the old line and the running backs, you know, they were familiar with it. He installed his own concept as far as the pass game goes to switch it up. But he kept all that. Same thing when he goes and leaves and he goes to, uh, I think it was Atlanta. He goes to Atlanta. Matt Ryan had been playing well. I mean, after he left, Matt Ryan won the MVP, I think, a year or two later. Yeah. So Matt Ryan was playing well. So when he got to Atlanta, he said he kept the concepts the same. He goes in, he'll make a few tweaks, but he kept all the verbiage the same because that's what the team was used to. You know, so he said the guy that was not familiar with it was himself. It wasn't the team. So he adjusted to the situation he was in. I mean, this guy seems so freaking perfect for what's going on right now. Exactly. That's why I said I think we'll be fine. He'll use yeah. all of the verbiage we've been using all year. He'll implement the new plays, which they already have to do. But I think I think we'll, we yeah. got a guy who's done this a few times. I mean, some of me just thought that it was just, oh, coach speak. Yeah, he's got a bunch of experience and stuff like that. But, like, there's – there's legitimately something to this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing to me, I couldn't believe that the Jacksonville situation that he decided instead of as an OC implementing your run game, you kept it the exact same. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you're second in the NFL in rushing, I think we need to leave it that way. Yeah, right. For sure. But, uh, yeah, that's, it's intelligent, you know. I think some things haven't been working in the run game. Some have. Uh, I don't know if it's been because of the opponents we've played, but mm – -hmm. Obviously, he has a lot more experience than I do, and I think he'll do a good job of keeping things the same. I know that, you know, oftentimes we're told that you guys stay off social media and stuff like that as players, um, but there's just no way that they don't hear the noise right now. I mean, there, there's so much of it. There's so much that, that's being questioned. It, this is, I mean, we really do seem like we are at a tipping point right now, and the, you can fall on either side. Are you going to divide and watch this thing fall apart, or are you going to unify and be able to lean on, you know, what this program has been about, and that, that's winning football games. I mean, yeah. there is, it is inevitable, inevitable. There will be a season where Boise State doesn't have a winning season. Like, it, it has to happen. I, I'm not saying it's this year. I don't know. It doesn't have to happen, Jay. Okay, it doesn't have to happen. <laughs> Shane says it doesn't have it to doesn't happen. It doesn't have to happen. Okay, it doesn't have to happen. <laughs> I do think it's dangerous if it ever if, if it ever does happen where they don't have a winning season because 
that's kind of like the thing that Boy State's that Boy State's cling, clings to. It's their recruiting advantage. It's everything. Like, if you want to come here and win mm-hmm. yeah. at a rate that you're just not going to be able to go other places and win, I mean, that, that's going to be something that 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 will hurt them. But um, I feel like it's inevitable if they can if 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 Andy Avalos can rally the troops after this week, though. My God. I think he's saving more than just a few jobs. Yeah. For sure. I think, I honestly believe we will still win eight games. I think we, I think we win eight games. Is that good? I mean, is that okay this year, given everything's going on? I mean, you're talk, I mean, not, I mean we're talking. It's more than we won last year, right? Yeah, one more. And with a new quarterback, with all the things yeah. we had to overcome, I think we can win eight games. Mm-hmm. It's, it's doable. Somebody said this on Twitter that, you know, a move like this where – especially the quarterback spot, you kind of go from maybe underachieving veterans to unproven young guys. Mm-hmm. Where, where would you rather be? Where we are now, obviously, with only having, uh, what do you have, four freshman quarterbacks? I don't think we really have an option, right? Don't have an option. That's what I, mean. I mean, this is a hypothetical. I, I guess what I mean by that is, like, there, there is one – when you phrase it like that, there's, there's really truly one that, that sparks optimism about the future, and that is kind of the, the unproven young guy. Yeah. I mean, he's got the highest ceiling of anybody in the Mountain West. You know, you don't get too many quarterbacks that look like that guy. And now you're truly building towards the future. Mm-hmm. Because even if, even if Hank stayed around, I mean, there's no telling what, if he would have if he would have returned next year. I mean, that's even if the season went well. Maybe he would have wanted to try to be a professional quarterback or go somewhere else. Like, you can't predict any of that stuff, right? Yeah. So it just feels like they're in the situation now where they can move this thing forward. Because I'm not saying – Hank, again, you, you talk to the guys even this week, man. They're, they're going to miss him. They appreciate what he did to the program. Anybody that says otherwise doesn't really know what they're talking about, I think. Yeah. Um, so they're going to miss him. But at the same time, like, if you're Taylor Green, you're now allowed to operate probably a little more freely. Like, they're, I don't care what situation you're in or why, if a starting quarterback loses his job during the middle of the season and another guy takes over, mm-hmm. there's not, not going to be something that's awkward about that yeah. at some point in time. Yeah, it won't be, it won't be pretty. You know, the win that we get, will get on Friday will not, will not be pretty necessarily, but it's, it's going to be a win. I believe in him. I mean, the good thing is, is that, you know, Boise State was, had, had 16 passing yards at halftime against UTEP. <laughs> you know how many San Diego State had against Toledo this last weekend at halftime? 11. <laughs> yeah. so, so they haven't exactly been, you know, firing on all cylinders on offense. Yeah. I do think they're finally getting a little more healthy at the running back position, which is going to make a different difference for the Aztecs. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But... If you're talking about a defense that has played pretty well, Boise State's played pretty well this year. Can they do enough on offense on Friday night to push that thing across the finish line? I almost tweeted this out on last Friday in El Paso, Shane. Boise State's going into the fourth quarter. They're down 20 to 10. Uh, they're, you know, they, they had the ball at the time, but I, but I almost tweeted out um, – down 10, 15 minutes to go. That's what I did tweet out. I erased the line that said, do fans care about margin of victory now? I don't. And I, I don't think that they would have. I didn't want to take a shot at anybody at the time. I thought it was a little unfair, so I, I erased it. But as I look back, 
I, I don't think the fans are going to care about margin no. of victory much the rest of the way this season. For sure. A win is a win. They go in the same column. Yeah. Does, yeah. It doesn't say... There is, there, I mean, there is a margin of victory column, but it's like way off to the right. And depending on which app you're on, doesn't even acknowledge it. Yep. It always acknowledges the win and the loss column, sure. though. So we'll see if, if Boise State can get that done. Um, really quick, we're going to talk about San Diego State. We, we've kind of touched on it, but I wanted to get your reaction about um, one of their best players, Caden McDonald, their middle linebacker, rocks the number 54. Do you know his nickname? I do not. Toothless Cowboy. Oh, my. Do you, do you know why it's Toothless Cowboy? I do not, but I hope you're going to tell me. Uh, <laughs> I need a story about so, that. One. So he, uh, last year, he got his tooth knocked out during a football game. And at the moment, felt that something was up, couldn't find his tooth. After the next play, he pulled his mouth guard out, and it was like lodged like somewhere in his mouth guard. So he ran over to his coach, dropped the tooth in his coach's hand, Right. After they won the game. After the game, he posted a picture on social media. Didn't have a tooth in. It went viral. And people started calling him the toothless cowboy. And so, given the current state of the uh, NCAA, NIL opportunities, wow, he embraced it. And so, he still doesn't have a tooth. He, 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 he has like a little fake one that he can put in if he really needs to. But he says he doesn't like to even wear that, like even at class, <laughs> because he likes to embrace the toothless cowboy. He has his own clothing line. There's a belt. He's from Texas, by the way. I wish. I wish I was in college still. <laughs> I, don't know if I, would, I don't know if I would now, not out rock the tooth. tooth yeah. but. I don't know if your wife would have allowed that, that either. That, those, that's some, yeah. that's some interesting. Yeah, he, he had this sweet belt buckle that he had made for him. I think somebody made it for him, actually, and gave it to him because, again, NIL deal. But he, I mean, like, he is a middle linebacker on San Diego State. He posts his stuff. Uh, Instagram followers start to go through the roof. Check him out, Toothless Cowboy. And um, I'll have a little story on it on the pregame show uh, coming up on Friday from 5 to 6 o'clock. We're going to be live on the blue. It's going to be... A crazy pregame show just because of everything that's mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. I don't think there – I'm trying to remember, Shane. I don't know if there is a more anticipated game, like regular season game mm -hmm. on the blue um, that I can really remember. I mean, I know when BYU comes here, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. But th that's like more about the opponent. This is like what's going on at Boise State. I mean, yeah. this is – OC fired, dirt cutter hired, fourth year starting quarterback transfers. Yeah. Your new redshirt freshman quarterback that everybody has been clamoring about, uh, wanting to get an opportunity, is now the starter. You're two and two. This is a conference game. I mean, th I, this is a massive game coming up at Albertson Stadium on Friday. It's big. I don't think any game that I have ever played in on the turf, you know, here at home. It's never been this anticipated. Yeah. I mean, for these reasons. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be really tough. Yeah. The only one I could think about was maybe the 2012 BYU-Boise State, but like you said, it's just because of the opponent. Yeah. This one's more about us. That was well, it's all about us. That was the first time that BYU came up to Boise and played in quite some time. And mm -hmm. who had the only touchdown in that game? Mike Atkinson. Mike Atkinson. Bacon. Canadian Bacon. Yep. That was a crazy game. Taysom Hill going for two right at the yeah. end of that thing. I want to say Taysom came on even in relief in that game. Yeah, he did. I don't did. think he necessarily started. He did not start. Which just shows you how long I've been covering this football team. I mean, you were, what year were you then? Freshman. Oh, my gosh. 
It's my first BYU experience. That's crazy. That's crazy. The hate has uh, built up a little bit higher since then, though. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Would you have been, been freshman or, reg, or, or sophomore, actually? Freshman. You would have been freshman. Mm-hmm. Man. Uh, okay, so what, what, what are your predictions then for, for Friday night showdown that kicks off at, uh, at 6 o'clock over at Albertson Stadium? All right, so both teams have not been able to score a ton. No, the over-under on this game is 40 and a half. That is super high. Yeah, Boise State's still favored. It opened at seven. I think I saw five and a half recently. They're, they're predicting a score of somewhere, what, 23 to 18? Oh, they're really close to mine. Yeah, okay. Gosh. I'm 21-17. 21-17. They'll need a touchdown to win, and our defense will hold them. Okay. Taylor gets his first win and his first start against one of our biggest rivals on the blue. Mm-hmm. Can't ask for anything I, more I, than that. I, talking with Brady Hoke, San Diego State's head coach, earlier this year, he told us that he absolutely thinks this is a rivalry game. And that wasn't even a loaded question. Mm-hmm. Just simply asked him what, what, he, what he thinks about playing Boise State. He was the one that went in that direction. He believes this is a rivalry game. Yeah. Boise State and San Diego State, we have that, that future Bo- uh, Mountain West scheduling. They're not on those two common opponents that will play each other every year. Brady was like, we need this game to always happen and elevate mm-hmm. the Mountain West. And, uh, I mean, I agree with them. This game does – it just always seems like one you circle on the calendar. Yeah. 21-17. Ooh. I like your prediction. You got any more points for us in there? <laughs> I'm going to squeeze 24 out of it. All right, I like that. Yeah, nah, 23. I'm gonna, 23. Two, two Jonah Dalmas field goals. He's going to have two, two field goals. 23 like 17. They'll, like they'll, they'll get it done. And I don't, I'm just going to say this really quick. I don't know where this offense would be without Jonah Dalmas. He, he, I mean, like, they're, they, they've really had this inability to score inside the red zone, score touchdowns inside the red zone, and he continues to just put field goals through the upright. That's why I probably would have given him a shot at 55-yarder at UTEP, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to need him this week. Yeah, probably. In a game like this, he's a nice little competitive advantage. Oh, do we cover it all? I think we got it all. (laughs) That was a good one right there. What a week, man. Again, (laughs) the most chaotic week since I've been covering the Boise State football team. There's been more significant news, whether it be Brian Harts going to Auburn, Chris Peterson going to the University of Washington back in the day, but just – in-season news like this, one day after the other, this was a, 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 was a crazy week. I embrace game day, which is Friday. Again, 6 o'clock on the blue. Game's going to air on FS1. I remind you, the Bronco Roundup game day show live on the blue. The only place you can get a look live on the blue is from 5 to 6 o'clock on KTVB. Unfortunately, uh, it's another Friday game, so you got to be coaching elsewhere. I'm, I'm bummed. We would have had you on, and we probably would have done this again on the pregame show. Go Cats. Yeah. Ooh, Columbia. What do you got? Well, who you guys got this week? We got Emmett. Okay. Emmett's pretty good. They are pretty good. Yeah. It's going to be a tough one, but I think we might be able to you see, know, make something shake today. See if you and Just Jackson can dial up a little thing on defense we'll there. See. Try to contain him. We'll see. You know, one of the top defenses in 4A. We're rolling. <laughs> Shane, as always, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. This is a fun podcast. Again, you can always watch weekly at uh, KTB's YouTube page or listen um, on iTunes. We'll be living there for for at least the rest of the season. So for Shane Williams-Rhodes, I'm Jay Tuss. Thanks for listening to this edition of Jay Sports Bar, serving the Idaho sports community.